We've seen Jackson State play three games now this year. And I think it's safe to say that in 2023, their defining unit will be their defensive line. Oh, yeah. It's locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are locked on HBCU. Your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. family welcome back to another episode of the locked on hbcu podcast your number one daily one-stop shop for everything hbcu athletics monday through friday part of the locked on podcast network your team every day and i of course am darian gray aka the mouth of the south texas southern alum and former tsu herald sports editor and current contributing writer at USA Today's Saints Wire. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked On HBCU your first listen of the day every day. And remember, just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over. It just means it's time to follow me on Twitter. At South Exclusives starts with an S, ends with an S. In today's episode, it's brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. We wrap up today's episode with a kind of an outlook at the South Carolina State's quarterback situation. I'll give you a little sneak peek. It's in the dirt. Speaking of somebody who they might want to put in the dirt, that's Eric Dooley. People are not happy, and I've even seen some fire Eric Dooley campaigning going on on my social media feed. So we'll get into that and really see what that's about, because I want to know. You want Eric Dooley gone? Is that what you want? You want Eric Dooley going? Let me know. If you do, I, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll handle it. Uh, <laughs> but one of the reasons that they want him gone is because he just lost to Jackson State. And one of the biggest reasons that he lost to Jackson State was the amount of penetration that the Jackson State defensive line was able to get on the Southern offensive line. And I believe that in 2023, the defining unit for the JSU Tigers will be their defensive line. Last year, and probably the year before that too, when you thought about Jackson State, you thought about Shador Sanders and explosive offense. That's what you thought about, right? And now they'll still have some good offensive plays. They'll still have some good players in the secondary. This isn't to take anything away because those teams were talented, but you had to have something that you thought of first. Some kind of, whether it's a unit, an aspect, a player, whatever that is. And for me, in 2023, that defining unit will be the Jackson State defensive line. Now. As individual players, I don't know how much you're going to hear about Devontae Davis and Philip Webb and Jeremiah Williams. I don't know how much they're going to be discussed as individuals, especially those guys on the interior. I don't, because that's just not a position that many people like to discuss. That's fine. But as a unit, I look at their defensive line. I look at their ability to get pressure, and I believe that should be the face of the team in 2023. When we're just talking about because I don't know if they have any individual stars through three weeks that's just going to steal all of the shine. So you can break it into a unit. It's not the linebacking core. And listen, I like Jacob Peppers. I do. I think that Jacob Peppers looks really good. But as a unit, it's not the linebacking core. And it's not like Jacob Peppers is Aubrey Miller, a swag preseason player of the year. He's still a, a player who's kind of trying to find, not just find his groove, but more so establish himself amongst everybody else and amongst his peers. 
So it can't be him right now. But when you look at Jackson State's defensive line, 15 tackles for a loss in week three, six sacks in week three, that's the type of impact that immediately you say that's the defining aspect of that team. And listen, they've been upgrading. Week one, four tackles for a loss, then six tackles for a loss. Now they have 15 in this week. And you have one sack each of the first two weeks, and now you have six in this game. So for me, I'm looking at it like this. Tackles for a loss are often the forgotten stat. When we talk about how good of a front seven or how good a front seven performs in any individual game, a lot of times we talk about what the offense was unable to do. Now, it's kind of assumed that we say that and give credit to the defense, but sometimes we don't talk about the TFLs. Sometimes we don't do that. We quickly talk about the sacks. But when it comes to TFLs, it's often, well, the running game was 10 for 31 or something like that. Like, that's how we represent how good the defensive line was at stopping the run. But I'm here to tell you, 15 tackles for a loss is nothing to scoff at. Do I think that all of the tackles for a loss were the defensive line? No, I'm not silly enough to say that, right? I even seen one that was a defensive back who got that tackle for a loss. But you know why he was able to do it? Because when trying to run up the middle, the running back had to bounce it because the defensive line had closed that gap. A lot of tackles for a loss, if they aren't made by a defensive lineman, are a result of a defensive lineman. Especially in that interior, there's just so much credit that is not given to them, right? Like if you could, if you could go back and just get like, okay, we're in college, right? If we talk about refunds, all right, it's refund time. That defensive tackle position would get so much in refund if you're just talking about credit that they weren't given to start off with. This is a unit that is dominant, and you've seen in the tackles for a loss, even against Florida AM, in my opinion. I thought they had moments when they played well against South Carolina State. You want to know why we all went against Corey Fields at a snap of a finger? It was because of the Jackson State defensive line. I'll give you an example that we just saw, not last night, but the night prior to that. Daniel Jones, a lot of people don't like Jones. So when he has a bad game, we're quick to say, hey, man, that guy is terrible. Do I think he's a great quarterback? No. But I'll say this, he had absolutely no time. There were so many times when the defensive line was on him immediately. That was Corey Fields. He might not have been good enough, but he surely didn't have a chance because of that JSU defensive line. He didn't. The, the game was wrecked offensively through the air and on the ground. They couldn't do anything. One of the reasons I was so impressed with uh the, the the freshman running back was because he had a couple of plays where he was able to avoid the defensive line and make something out of nothing that's one of the reasons i was so impressed but when you come into week three and you have 21 disruptive plays you're going to get credited for that and that really cemented what i already believed in them believed in them excuse me so forget the stats i've seen it i saw it against south carolina state you see it against southern it's all there in front of you a little less against famu but i'll lean on the two performances and even in that game i saw a little bit of something because when you're the defining aspect of a team it's extremely rare that you just get shut out i understand that they have some good running backs i understand that jason brown came back and he had a good performance i understand all of these things i do believe that jsu has talent on their team but when we're talking about the engine and the unit that makes this team go, I'm looking at the defensive line because week in and week out, I expect them to make at least a play. And that's why, to me, in 2023, Jackson State's defining unit will be their defensive line. But moving forward to a team who their defensive line wrecked, Eric Dooley's Southern Jaguars. And I'm hearing y'all want to fire Dooley. Okay, I got a couple of questions as we continue forward with Locked On HBCU.
Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. And have you ever just been getting close to an event and just started cursing? Just, oh, man, I can't get this ticket. Tickets, I can't find them. Just go to Game Time. You'll never run into that problem again. And not only are you going to find them, a lot of times you'll find them better than what you would have had the price for a month ago. Because Game Time has the best or is the best place for the last minute deals. And if you're able to find a, a seat on the same row in the same section, They'll give you 110% back on the difference. It's really that simple. Buying tickets to your favorite events does not have to be stressful, no matter how late that you decided to go and get them. Shame on you, but we cover you up with game time. Go ahead and go to game time for concerts, comedy events, um, sporting events in your, in your local area. There's a reason that game time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. So all you have to do is go to the game or download the game time app. Use the code locked on college. And you'll get $20 off your first purchase. Terms, of course, are going to apply. Again, create an account and use the code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off. As we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, thank you for making this your first listen of the day every single day. I truly do appreciate it, sincerely. Now, on tomorrow's episode, we'll be talking about, I'll be using three words I don't like to use, I was wrong. Yes, I pat myself on the back on Monday for being right, but I'm fair. When I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I was wrong about this specific team and you have to wait and see exactly who it is on tomorrow. But don't forget, Friday, we'll have our college football kickoff live from noon, or excuse me, from 10 a.m. to noon. It'll be live on Locked on HBCU, and I'll be there at some point within the hour, given the games that you need to watch in week three. But I want to get into something right now. I've seen people saying Eric Dooley needs to be gone. I want to know what you think about it. Um, I've heard it since Saturday. I said, you know what, if, if, if I'm going to get some clarity on this, let me talk to you and see what you think, what you what you think should happen, where you're at with Eric Dooley, because I know the team isn't doing it. This is in no way a question of Eric Dooley's job security. Let's get that disclaimer out there right now before people say I'm overreacting. I'm not overreacting at all. I don't think that Eric Dooley has any insecurity in his job. I think he's firmly cemented as the Southern head coach not only through this year, but then also next year. I think things would have to go so drastically wrong in order for him to be fired at the end of 2023. I don't think that a lot of people would like what I'm saying to be the truth. And that's what we're speaking to. Because after an 0-2 start for the Southern Jaguars, one in which the offense has not really been flowing, I've seen a couple of people say, fire Eric Dooley. I'm not saying it's the majority of fans. I'm not saying all the Jaguar nation wants Dooley gone. But what I am saying is that there's enough of a percentage for it to stumble across my timeline a couple of times. One of the biggest things that I saw, one of the funniest things I should say, it wasn't the biggest because I didn't really check the retweets and everything on it. But they accused Dooley of being a grambling spy sent to destroy the rival organization. I'm like, man, y'all really cracking me up right now. But, we're, we're, but when we're looking at this, why are y'all frustrated? What do you want? Because I'm assuming you don't want Dooley gone right now. Right. I won't take you so literal, but I'll give you a little bit of leeway and say you think that his job should be in jeopardy. You think that Dooley should be on the hot seat. You think that Julie's or Dooley's job should be 
up for debate at the end of the year. I would assume those who are saying fire Eric Dooley aren't just doing it to be funny. There's some reason they want him gone, and there's some sort of outcome they're looking for at some point that is resulting in him no longer being the coach. So to me, it's saying, what do you want? Excuse me. I'm sorry. I come from Texas Southern. Texas Southern hasn't had a coach that has been able to deliver us to a SWAC championship berth in year one. I've seen many a coaches start 0-2. Now, I'm not trying to excuse mediocrity. I'm not. But I simply don't believe that getting to the SWAC championship in your first year is mediocrity. Sometimes when we have, we have certain expectations, we have certain things that we're looking for, and I just want to know what your criteria is. Because is getting to a championship game and then being 0-2 years later, or just not even years later, but uh, the year later in the first two weeks, is that enough for you to say, man, get rid of them? I understand that the road was a little bit rocky. I understand that it was a little bit bumpy on the way to the SWAC championship, but you got there and you lost to Jackson State, a team that everybody lost to. So now it has me curious, what exactly is it that you would like? What does he need to accomplish for you to say, all right, I'm, I'm cool with Dooley now. Let's keep him right here. Is it a championship? That's it? Because he hasn't had the opportunity to give you another championship. He made it to the, to the conference championship in 2022. We're in 2023. In the two losses that he had, though they do feel, I'll, I'll say this, Dooley's losses feel like more of a gut punch because they're out of conference games. But you lost to Bama State and you lost to Jackson State. And I think it's especially because you lost to Jackson State. It's one of those situations. But he hasn't lost a conference game yet. Those are out-of-conference games against conference opponents. And I understand it's, it's honestly, I think, the dumbest thing that the SWAC does. I think it's so stupid. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, just go play a MEAC team. Like, I'm just going to keep it real with you. If you want to play an HBCU, play a MEAC team. All this playing the SWAC stuff, I don't like it. It's confusing to me on, on, on first glance. It doesn't really make sense to me, even when looking at it. It's just like, why would you do that? Just save your conference game or save the only play conference opponents on conference games. Like, I don't even know how to say it. It makes it confusing to talk about. Why must I give this disclaimer that Alabama State has no conference victories? Why must I give this disclaimer that Jackson State has only one conference loss and no conference victories? Southern has no conference wins or losses because Alabama State and Jackson State were non-conference games. There goes your little breakdown. Meanwhile, my Texas Southern Tigers, they do have a loss because that PV game was a conference game. It's confusing, but it's one of those things where you really need to look at the schedule and see if they say SWAC next to it. And if it doesn't, that means it's not a SWAC game. Dumbest thing that the swag does, bro. But um, overall, he hasn't even lost the conference game yet. Nothing that he's done this year keeps him from getting back to the swag championship. It just has a bad taste in your mouth. And because you have a bad taste in your mouth, you want him to be gone? Ah, I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, I'm against it, right? I, I think that Dooley's a, a pretty good coach. If you want to critique what he's been able to do this year, you want to critique how the offense looked this year, okay, that's fine. No one's saying Dooley's perfect. What I am saying is that Dooley has been there for all of a season and not even a quarter. He's been there for a season and two games. And in that season, he brought you to a SWAC championship game. Did he win? No. And I understand that Southern's been to enough SWAC championship games where simply being there might not be enough. But I do believe it should be enough to not question a man's job two weeks later or two games later. That's how I feel about it. If you feel differently, let me know. But one thing I do feel pretty strongly about is the South Carolina State quarterback room. Because to me, when I evaluate the situation with Corey Fields and Andre Washington, 
that quarterback battle situation room, whatever, is in the dirt right now. And honestly, I don't know if it's going to get much better. I don't have any optimism that's going to be successful at all. But we'll break down all of those aspects as we continue with Locked On HBCU. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. And FanDuel is the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. And what a game that was. If Aaron Rodgers went down with what we believe to be a torn Achilles and a season-ending injury, and you put some money down on the Jets after that, I can only imagine the amount of money you made. Shout out to Xavier Gibson for that for that magnificent punt return touchdown. It was a great way to end the game, and I'm glad that I was up enough to where Josh Allen's four turnovers did not hurt me that bad. I still won. But all that being said, if you put some money down on FanDuel, you made a lot of money off of the Jets in that game. So, Or if you just bet already, you probably made a good amount of money because they won anyway. Uh, go to FanDuel.com. The NFL season is here. Put $5 down, and if you're a new customer, you get 200 back in bonus bets. If you're an existing customer, you get $100 off the Sunday ticket so you can watch more football and you can put down more bets on the one place you should, FanDuel.com slash LockedOnCollege. Let's say it again, y'all. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOnCollege, the one and only place that you should be looking to make your money. As we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making this your first listen of the day, every day. Making it all the way to segment three. And you know that I thank you two times for that. Thank you. Thank you. South Carolina State's quarterback situation is in the dirt. Simple and plain. When I look at what the quarterback, the leader of the offense looks like right now, that situation is in the dirt. Now, every day is. You know how I feel about quarterback battles that go into the season. I'm not a fan of them. I think I kind of tiptoe around it at times, so maybe you don't fully know. Allow me to tell you exactly how I feel about quarterback battles that go into the season. This is the part that you're familiar with. It either means that you have two guys who are excelling or you have two guys who are disappointing. Either way, there's not enough separation. But here's what I might not say all of the time. I might have said it once or twice, but this is how I feel. If you're going into a quarterback battle that is one week, two weeks into the season, I don't think you have the guy. I'm very pessimistic when it comes to that. I don't believe that you're going to have a successful season. And I I mean, I'm I'm tired of tiptoeing around it and saying what the possibilities and trying to play it safe. That's how I feel. If I'm going to be wrong, I'm going to be wrong. Matter of fact, this is another situation where I'm putting this out here. When I'm talking about it being in the dirt, I'm not only saying that it's in the dirt, it's in bad. I'm saying it's in the dirt, it's in six feet. I think it's dead. I don't think success is coming from how they're currently going to run their quarterback operations. I just don't see it as a viable path. I don't. Two quarterbacks? But if you said, listen, we played two quarterbacks against Georgia Tech, we're going to do it again. And I gave this whole spiel about quarterback battles. You might be questioning, well, they're not even in a quarterback battle. No, they weren't. Not to start the year, it was Corey Fields' team. He started against Jackson State, but he looked so bad that people were saying bench him. And they did bench him during the game. They brought him back, but then apparently he was dealing with an injury. Maybe that's the reason he sat in the first place. Maybe it wasn't even a benching. Maybe he just had to sit down because of injury, and he didn't play the next game. Well, he came back in week two, right, because they played three games, but week zero was their first game. So he came back in week two, and he split time with Andre Washington. I do not believe you can be a successful team while splitting quarterbacks, especially not the way that Buddy Pugh explained it. The way that Pugh explained it, 
is that each quarterback has different strengths and we're going to use their strengths interchanging with them going in and out of the game. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. That is not a plan that I can get with. Now, if you want to say that I have a package for this quarterback, cool. But if this quarterback does this well and this quarterback does this well, well, I'm as a defense, I'm sitting here like, well, I know what's coming now. Andre Washington's in the game. We're going to do this. Corey Fields is in the game. We're going to do this. To me, that makes it extremely easy on a defensive coordinator to know what to do and when to do it. I don't like that. I don't. See, the Saints always had Taysom Hill for multiple years now at this point. I think what? I think Till's, Till's, uh, Till Hill has been around for five years at this point, I think. Gosh. And he's always had a package, and we've always had a certain era or aura of uh, predictability when he came into the game. But that was okay because it was only a couple of plays. But if you're looking at 12 snaps for the quarterback who's secondary, uh, 15, 20 snaps, like how much are they going to be in the game? How much is this split really going to be 50-50? We'll see. But he made it sound like it's going to be a lot of interchanging parts. To me, this is similar to when the backup comes in. It can be effective for a short amount of time, maybe even in that game. The team wasn't prepared for the backup quarterback, and this is what happens. Oh, it caught you off guard. But we have three weeks. You're doing this after week two, and you have three weeks going into MEAC play. So you're going to have one game, two games, three games for them to figure you out and to see how you're interchanging your quarterbacks. If I missed something on what Pew said, maybe I misunderstood exactly how he meant he was going to rotate his quarterbacks. I don't know. But the way I heard it is they're going to go with a two quarterback system and use both of these quarterbacks to their strengths, not have a package for one. I just don't like it. I don't. I think the North Carolina Central is going to figure it out. I think that Howard's going to figure it out. I think that Morgan State's going to figure it out. And I don't care if Norfolk State or Delaware State figures it out because I already have the three top teams in, in, the, uh, in the conference figuring it out. And that's enough for this to not be successful. I just don't understand how you can move forward. Maybe I got to see it. Maybe I have to see it in action. I think that uh, maybe if you would have done this one week before MEAC play, maybe you could catch Delaware State. I think that's their first conference game. Catch them off guard. But now they know what's coming. So I'm not here for this one. I'm not. I don't think that this is a good move. To me, South Carolina State's quarterback situation is in a bad place. And a good friend of mine and I were discussing uh, South Carolina State and whether or not we were ready to proclaim them dead. I said no, and I'm going to stick to that. I still need to see more things. I need to specifically probably see once they get into conference play if I'm ready to say, yeah, it's over for them. Man, we're not talking about one win, two win. We're talking about championship. We're talking about second, third play. I don't know. I don't know if they can crack and be that surprise team. I don't know. But I'll say this. I appreciate you. That's one thing I do know is that I appreciate you for making this your first listen of the day every single day. That is always greatly appreciated. That will never be in the dirt. But tomorrow's episode, I'm going to say three words. It's going to be the tagline. You're going to see it on the thumbnail. Tomorrow's episode, I was wrong. I came on here and I pat myself on the back yesterday for saying I was right about the keys to victory, but I was wrong about this one school. I ain't got too much pride to admit it. 
So I'm going to tell you why and what I've seen from this one school. And I'm going to keep it. Uh, maybe you can guess who you think the team's going to be that I'm discussing. I won't tell you if you're right or not, but it would be nice to see if you guess. But I appreciate you for making this your first listen of the day every day. You have to wait to get that treat on tomorrow's episode. But in the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Take care. Stay blessed. Peace.